and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. We're in a series entitled 10 Do's After I Do. Uh, We will pause and break from this series after today's message. We'll start a new series next month. Uh, and then we'll pick back up with this one sometime. It could be next year. It could be an individual message here or there until we cover all ten. Uh, and today, I wanted to skip number three because number three would take definitely two weekends to talk about. And I, I did not want its own forgiveness and repentance. Uh, so, so that would take a long time. I, you know, and so I, I knew I couldn't wrap that one up. And with Communion Sunday, I also wanted to honor that and to give us some time to receive communion. So today, what what we want to do is talk about number four, and that is this, learn who they are and what they need now. Ten do's after I do. You said I do. I will marry you. What do I do now? You will learn who they are and what they need now. Uh, so I read a book last year called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. I, I did not read that book for um, this series. I read it for my marriage. And one of the things I'm very mindful of is that I will not ever get out of me what I have not put into me. And I constantly want to be a better husband and be a better father. So I need to have conversations with men who are good fathers and good husbands. But I also need to read on marriage because I want my marriage to be as good as it could be. And I got in that marriage, or got in that marriage, I got in that book about marriage And um, one of the chapters was called Loving the Stranger. And I thought, that's an interesting kind of heading. Him and his wife uh, had been married for over 40 years when they wrote this book. And what he talked about is when you get married, you think you know that person, but you really don't. And you're going to find out just how well you didn't know them when you say, I do. There's going to be a lot there that you see for the very first time. And you're going to have to learn how to love this stranger. And the way that you're going to do that is by asking questions and humbling yourself and really seeing what they need now in this season. And he said something that really struck me because me and my wife uh, have been married now. Uh, 18 going on 19 years. <laughs> and, and so out of that, um, it, it's not like we're newlyweds. We, we've been at this for a while. And um, I saw something in there that I needed for my marriage. Because one of the things that he said is, over the decades of marriage, your partner changes. Children change them changes them. Sometimes trauma and drama comes into their life and it changes them. Uh, There's a death and it changes them. Or there's something that happened at work or now they are working and before they weren't and they're changing. Or something, you know, got a promotion at work and it it changed them. But your, your, your spouse is changing. 
And you need to be mindful of that because as they are changing, what they need now is changing. And oftentimes in good marriage, there are thing, good marriages, there are things that are being left unsaid. Things that are being left unaddressed. Can I, can I just speak honestly today? Um, in, in good marriages, it's not sins of commission that hurt them. Sins of commission are things like, I know what irritates you, and I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I know what bothers you, and I'm going to do it anyway. I know what I can say to hurt you, and I'm going to say it anyway. That's a sin of commission. I know it's bad, but I choose to do it anyway because I want to get back at you. Um, you know, so that's a sin of commission. In bad marriages, there's a lot of that. In good marriages, it's, it's not sins of commission. It's sins of omission. There's things being left undone. So it's not, I'm calling you ugly, it's just, I'm never saying you're beautiful. And things are being undone. It's not that we're yelling and screaming, it's just that we're not talking at all. It's not that we're spending so much time away from each other, it's just we're not spending time together. We're in the same house, but we're not together. We're not sharing, so things are being left undone. And I said this at the 8.30 service last week. I don't think I said it in, in every other service. Uh, so I want to make sure definitely that you understand this point. That in, in your life, oftentimes you are giving your spouse everything but what they need. And the only way I will discuss, so what do I mean by that? Like, I'm, I'm paying the bills, I'm showing up, I'm, I'm helping out, you know, there's duties, I'm doing the duties, I'm performing the things, but there's something intrinsically going missing in her, something that he really wants, but there's no communication between the two. And what this principle is, is learning to speak to each other. Learning to listen to each other. And, and the way that we do that is by humbling ourselves. The greatest among us is the servant of all. You cannot have servanthood without humility. Any of you been to a good, good restaurant and had a good waiter? Anybody at any campus? You ever had a good waiter at a restaurant? That is a servant. And their job is to really come to the table and find out what you want. And so when you're serving or being served... You have someone humbling themselves to your wishes and asking, leading with questions. Now, the, the, the table should never have to make a demand. In fact, you've got a bad waiter or a bad servant when the, the table is like, hello, over here. Like, no one's taking our order. Like, when it's gotten to that point at the restaurant, it's a sign that there is no servanthood. There is no one waiting. And in our relationship with our spouse, the greatest among us, Jesus said, is a servant of all. If I have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's. And so if I'm going to serve my wife or she is going to serve me, which there's only really two kinds of marriages. There's only either selfish marriages or servanthood marriages. Selfish marriages, they don't work. It's a consumer-based. You give me what I want and then I'll give you what you want. Very selfish. You meet my needs. Uh, and I'm not going to be mindful of yours at all. Servanthood is not based off of what you're doing for me. It's me listening. It's me being the waiter. What do you need coming to the table? What, what do you want to order? Think about that phrase. What would you like to order? It's like, give me commands. 
what, what would you like to see? And, and taking ourselves as a servant. And think about that even in context with our relation with, with God. That the maker of heaven and earth is like, what do you desire? And would humble himself of whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And that is the paradigm for marriage because he is the groom, we are the bride. And somebody says, well, you know, there's not a lot of couples where it gives a lot of marriage advice. It, the whole Bible is marriage advice. You see the groom in Jesus. You see the bride in the church. And what do you see the groom, the head of the marriage, doing? It's constantly coming to the bride and being like, what do you want? What do you, Talk to me. Think about that, husbands. Like coming to the bride, Jesus coming to the bride. What do you want? What do you need? What do you desire? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Servanthood. And so this is what we need more in our marriages because a lot of good people in marriages, they're just not telling you what they need. They're waiting for you to ask. And there's, there's desires and petitions in their hearts that they, they really could, could use. And if we listened and humbled ourselves to each other, we could see improvement. We could grow up. Uh, one of the passages of scripture that's been very big in my heart here recently, personally, is this one we're going to look at in Ephesians. So let's, let's go over here and look at it real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, for the sake of time, uh, for those who are running the screens, we're going to bounce around and skip some things. Ephesians chapter 4. And look here in verse number 15. While you're, you're turning, just let me pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that your spirit gives me and us eyes that see, ears that hear, and a hearts that understands this truth. So it's easy for us to do it. We thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. Christ. So when you got born again, Jesus came into your heart, but you did not automatically become like him. Uh, you needed him, and he gave himself to you, but you didn't become like him. Your peace is not like his. You have to grow up into it. Your love, your forgiveness is not like his. You grow up into it. Uh, your joy is not like his. It, you have to grow up into it. You have the joy of the Lord, but uh, we lack the maturity to walk in it at all times. But we don't stay there immature. We grow up into these things. And he says, here's the way you grow up into it. Is somebody in your life is speaking truth to you in love. And if there is no truth in love, there will be no growth. So in my relationship with God, unless God is able to speak to me truthfully, unless he's able to correct me, Hebrews chapter 12, unless he's able to talk to me and me to listen to him and change, there'll be no growing up into him. But the same thing is true in our relationship with each other. If there is no truth spoken in love, the marriage stays at the same level or gets worse. With your children, if you let them do whatever they want to do, and there is no truth in love spoken to them, they will remain immature. They have to have truth spoken to them in love. But here's the problem. A lot of times in our households and in our relationships with our our children and with our, our spouses, It's either truly truth-based or love-based, and it's not truth in love. And when you speak truth without any love, you will irritate. 
you are bothering me right now. Like, I, I am only interested in, like, what I'm feeling and not your state. Now, this happens all the time. I gave this example at the 830. Forgive my leadership. I am not perfect. I am in need of Christ just like you are. Uh, but I gave them this example from this past week uh, of, like, what my flesh wanted to respond, and in lesser days, I have responded in. So one of my big truths, like, this is a personal truth, and it's not necessarily the truth, but it is mine. Uh, is like it matters if you're on time for something. And I don't know if that resonates with anybody else here. That truth was passed down to me from my father. I, I came by it honest. My dad told me, if you're late, it means you don't care. <laughs> Genuinely was what he preached into my heart. What you were doing and that you were you know, on time for and late for my thing is what you're telling me is that was more important than what we agreed upon. Uh, and so that's my frame of reference. And so I operate, and this is true for you too, listen to me. You operate only out of your truths. There are words that are written on your heart that those are your boundaries. And when people cross them, or you do, you get angry. Because that's a boundary. This is why the Lord said, forgive us of our trespasses. What's a trespass? There was a boundary and you crossed it. So your truths are your boundaries. And when you overstep those boundaries, like if I'm late, I feel bad. I'm like, I need to tell people, I am so sorry. Because I crossed a boundary. Other people could cross that same thing and be completely fine. Why? It's not their truth. Uh, And so when I cross that boundary, I feel bad and I feel the need to repent. When other people cross that boundary, I want them to feel bad and I want them to repent. Does that make sense? Take your shoes off before you come in this house. That's, That's a boundary. You know, put the milk back in the fridge after you use it. Boundary. Uh, So we all have them. We all have truths that we live by. When you cross them, you feel bad. When other people cross them, you want them to feel bad. Um, This is called the flesh. Uh, So out of this, uh, Wednesday, we were having like an all-staff meeting. I started at 9. People were coming in late, 9.04, 9.07, walking in late. And I can feel my flesh. Like this is a staff meeting. I can, fi- I can feel my flesh. And on lesser days, I would have said something like, oh, look, somebody just walked in and named their name and say, let's give them a hand. Let's give them a hand. Um, and that kind of thing. Now, what is that? That's bad. That's wrong. That's truth with no love. And, and what is that? That's truth. You are late. But I, I don't care enough in that moment about you to not embarrass you. And it's nothing wrong with correction, but you don't correct in in public. You correct in private. You praise in public. Uh, So I I overstepped. Now, I spoke truth. I didn't do that this Wednesday, by the way. I wanted to, but I restrained myself. Uh, So out of that, I didn't do that, but there have been lesser days where I have. And and my, my point is in that when you speak truth without love, you are going to get either one, um, people get defensive. Well, you were late once. <laughs> or two, they will get afraid. And they'll cower more away from you and they won't address things. And there's separation that comes in their heart. And so out of that, truth without love always irritates And it's unhealthy for marriages. And so many times this is what's happening in the context of marriage. People are talking, but it's just all truth. You care more about what you're trying to communicate than the person. 
And whenever I care about more what I'm trying to communicate, in this case, be, be on time. Whenever I care more about that truth than I do about the person, I will always violate love. Um, because if I cared about the person, I would teach them why the principle is important. And if they chose to keep violating that, then uh, in terms of employment, then there, there would be consequences there. But it's all done from a loving perspective of me not valuing my truth more than I do the person. And so out of that, the flip side is true, is you have some people, they care more about love and quote-unquote keeping the peace than they do the truth. And so they'll just keep sweeping it under the rug and acting like it didn't happen because they don't want conflict. A lot of times it was born because they saw a lot of conflict growing up and they just don't want it in their family, they don't want it in their life, they don't want it there, and so they just don't speak truth ever. And so the relationship goes unchanged because if people don't know to change, they'll keep violating the boundary. And every time they violate the boundary, if you don't call it out in the name of love, of like, I don't want a problem, I don't want an issue, I don't want to have a conversation, then what you'll get is resentment. And that resentment will, will finally boil over one day. And it'll be like, would you please show up? You know, like that kind of thing. But it came from a place of that boundary being crossed, but me never wanting to say anything and, and I'm stuffing it all down on the inside. So how does a relationship grow? How is a marriage going to grow? How are you going to grow? You have to speak truth in love. You have to listen and open up your heart and want to serve. You have to come to this place where you humble yourself and you say, here's what I want to happen in this conversation. What do you need from me right now? You tell me. And you listen, and then you serve. Now, in a healthy marriage, you got both people doing that. But this is God's best. Um, and Timothy Keller, once again, in his book, and we'll get it in the bookstores. Um, or you can order it on Amazon, whatever you want to do. Uh, but, but out of that, um, Timothy wrote in his book about his marriage. And he talked about... Years ago, when they were first married, they were pastoring a church in Pennsylvania. And it was in a community where the church was already established. And so whenever, like this church, this church has been a church for over 40 years. And so out of that, like if you're a 40-year-old man, you ought to be able to do some stuff on your own without support. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so it takes a lot to really mess this up. Genuinely, a lot to mess this up. Because there's so much help built into it. It's mature. It's got leaders. It's got multiple staff members. But when something is, is young, when you got a three-year-old work or a three-month-old work, it's like having a baby. It's like it needs you a lot in that season. And so they're in an established church, but they have an invitation from the, the board of the domination that they were in to go start a brand new work in New York, New York, just right there in Manhattan. And he's sensing not only a call from the denomination, but also just a call from the Lord in his heart to go do it. But his wife didn't want to because she knew he got involved a lot in his work and his work would consume him there. And she saw like, okay, this works because there's enough leadership here to kind of ease the burden. But when he goes up there, there's not that. He's going to be all in and it's not going to be good. And so they talk and she tells him that. And it's good to go into an understanding with who you're with. And to have conversations based off of these things. And so she warns him ahead of time. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll ask you to do this. He's like, I'm, I'm really praying about it. I'll ask you to pray. And she said, I want you to know, like, if you feel like this is the Lord, I will pray and I will submit to it. But she said, I, I want you to be mindful of this. And so it all wound up 
where they moved to New York with the understanding that for three years he would really have to give a lot of his attention to this. That it, it would require more of him than he would want to give, but he'd have to give it in order to get it off the ground. And that they, as a marriage, would have to compensate for that. And she, she agreed. So they come to this understanding. Well, three years goes by, and, and what is that understanding? It's a boundary. Three years go by, and he begins to trespass. So they have an understanding. Here's how this will be, and then it wasn't that way. And whenever that happens, there's a trespass. The Lord, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So he's trespassing. The three-year mark is over. And so she sets him down, and she says, you need to listen to me. This is not healthy for our marriage. This is hurting me. This is hurting the kids. And he heard and he listened, but he did not change. And this will happen a lot in marriage. Um, And it's not because people are bad. It's almost because they're too good. They feel so responsible for a child or so responsible for work. And marriage, typically the good ones, they just don't demand a lot. And work does. And children do. And so he got sucked back into that same pattern. And, you know, so he's crossing that boundary. They have an agreement, but he keeps crossing it. So one day he comes home from work. And when he comes home, he hears like this big clang. And he's like, what is that? When you have small kids, you think you're like they ran into something or broke something. So, and he knows his wife is there. So she's like, okay, where's well, supervision? Like maybe just something happened. He's trying to decompress from there. And he hears another one. He's like, what is going on? So he runs out to the, 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 the sound of the noise that's on the back porch area. And she is back there with their wedding china and a hammer. And she has a plate in her hand, and he looks at her, and she runs that hammer through it. That's the third one. And he's like, what What is going on? He's like, honey, are you okay? She sets down the hammer and sits on the ground, and he thinks she is having a mental breakdown. Like, in his mind, she has lost it. And he sits down, and she says, you're not listening to me. She said, I am not telling you these things because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at you. I'm telling you these things because you are hurting me. You are hurting this family. You are hurting our kids. And you're even hurting the church. They see the state of your family. This is not healthy. If you gain the whole world and, and everybody at church loves you, but you lose your own soul. You are not listening to me. And he said in that moment, it got his attention. And they talked about it, and he agreed. He had crossed the boundary multiple times, wanted more accountability. That day would make changes. Don't put it off till tomorrow. The devil lives in tomorrow. God is today. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Make changes now. That whole, I'll do it tomorrow, that is not of God. God is like, now is the day of salvation. He's like, before the end of the day, I will call my leaders. I will tell people I'm changing my schedule. And he did. So when they have this conversation, when it's over, she just gets up perfectly fine. 
And he's like, what in the world? She's like, oh, all those pieces I broke were already chipped. She said, I was just hoping you, you helped me. You know, you got out here fast enough before I got to the fourth one. Because the fourth one was where it would have been true sacrifice. And he's like, what? And so she smiled and they hugged and that kind of thing. Truth. How much truth in love is being spoken in your marriage? Well, that's exactly how much growth will be there. Oftentimes, we give to each other everything but what we need. It is, me and my wife were talking about this yesterday. It is dangerous because we have kids and they require a lot. It is dangerous for our marriage for us to be more mindful of our children's needs than my spouse's. It is dangerous for my marriage to know more about my church's needs, or in your case, your business or your career's needs, than it is about my spouse's needs. But my, my church, my leaders here, my business here, my kids will cry out to me far more than my spouse ever will. And so we take each other for granted. And we have to learn how to sit down and say, what do you need from me now? And I want you to be honest with me. I want you to tell me your truth. Um, When we got married, uh, me and my wife, uh, we were infatuated with each other. You ever been there? Like just truly infatuated. And this is where the statement love is blind comes from is like, you just don't see. Everybody else does. Like your mom could ask you, you could ask your mom, like, what do you see about my fiance that you don't care for? And she could tell you if she wanted to, like, because she sees it. Um, You know, that kind of thing. But when you're infatuated, you genuinely do not see it because whatever you're infatuated with blinds you from what you should see. If you're infatuated with sports or ESPN or football, you will not be seeing all the things you need to see in your house. If you're infatuated with your kids, there's a lot you're not seeing in other areas of your life. If you're, the only thing that it would be great to be infatuated with is the Lord um, because he will show you other things. Every, everything else will be selfish. They'll take all of your attention. When you give God all of your attention, he'll open your eyes to see what you need to see. Anyway. So out of this, when you're in love, love is blind. And so everybody around us could see there's going to be some issues there you're not seeing. Um, And no one would tell us the truth besides one relative, and that would be uh, Pep's sister, Tara. And I'm like, go away. Uh, So, like, how do you spell Tara backwards? A rat. That's how you spell it backwards. Um, Because she would tell my wife, like, you're going to have to make all new friends. You're going to go to a brand new church. You're going to have to find a brand new superstore, like supermarket. You don't even know where to bank. You don't even have a car. Like, we've been to this house. He doesn't even have any furniture. There's nothing to make a home. She didn't care, though. Why? She was getting me. (laughs) Infatuated. And I'm like, I don't care either because it wasn't affecting me and I'm going to get you. Uh, So out of that, we got married and it was. Uh, Gary Chapman said that this infatuation stage lasts anywhere between six months to two years. 
And for me and my wife, about three months in, it was, it was there and then it was gone. And I came home from work one day and I pull into the, the driveway and I see her on the front steps and she's crying. I'm like, what is going on? And I, I pull up in the, the garage and I get out of the car and I come and sit behind her and I just put my arms around her. I'm like, baby, what's wrong? And all the things that everybody else, especially Arat, could see... Before we said, I do, now my wife is seeing. Uh, She is seeing like, uh, you know, I I don't have anything to do here. I don't have any friends here. I don't have, my parents aren't here. I don't have a job here. I don't have a car. Like, you're at work all day. I'm stuck here in the house. There's nothing too clean. Like, genuinely, we only had a bed bed and a desk. There was no kitchen table. There's no sofa. There's no TV. I had put it out by the side of the road. Like, all of those, we didn't have anything. Uh, We didn't even have curtains. We had blankets that we stuck over the windows with nails. Uh, You know, all of these things. So, we didn't have anything for her to, like, make a home. But I'm like, before you had me. And that was enough. (laughs) And she cried all the more. And so, out of that... (laughs) (laughs) So, but then out of that... I saw something immediately that I, I want to end this with, okay? And, and I didn't know this terminology until I got older. But I want you to see something here in Genesis. They'll put it up on the screen, so you can turn to it too. But Genesis 2 and verse 24. I, 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 I began this series with Genesis because there's so much revelation here about marriage. And in this verse, there is... 20 messages. For this reason, leave that alone just real quick. We're going to focus on the next couple of words. A man shall leave his father and mother. A man shall leave his father and mother. Now, what in and of itself does this denote? Maturity. A man shall leave his father and mother. Well, why is a man leaving his father and mother? Because he now has something he's responsible for. Before, someone is responsible for him. He can still be the boy. And the boy will have his needs met by other people. The boy will have provision. The boy will have shelter. The girl will have somebody to talk to all of these types of things. And so when we're a boy and we're a girl with a father and a mother, there is shelter and and our immaturity, there's an allowance for it. But when you get married, you become a man. You become a woman. And you begin to leave the things, not just father and mother, you begin to leave the things that made you a boy. And the problem that we have in marriage today is we have boys in marriage who need to become men. Music timed that perfectly there. (laughs) Genuinely, I have so many conversations with people and they're describing their issues and all I'm hearing is the boy. Because they're so mindful of they're not giving me what I want. And that is the boy. The child says, mine. The servant says, what do you want? And we have bought into this lie that that marriage is like, 
What's your purpose for marriage? I mean, if you ask most couples that, what's, what's the reason you're married? And most people would say love and romance. And God's like, well, that's great if you have that, but that's not the reason. The reason is I designed a help made for you. You know why you're in their life? If you get love and romance, great. You know why you're in their life? You're to help them. Help them what? Grow up. A man shall leave his father and mother. I can't do the same things I did when I was single. I can't still be the boy. I can't still be thinking about my interest and what I want. If you don't allow marriage to kill your selfishness, you're going to have a bad marriage. When you're a boy, you can be selfish. When you're single, you can be selfish. When you get married, you became a servant. And if you don't want to be a servant, then don't get married. And that's why you need to be slow to marry because whoever you're marrying, you're going to have to serve. And you're going to want to make sure that's somebody you want to do that for. (laughs) I'm serious. A man will leave his father and mother. Father and mother take care of you. Father and mother asking you, have you ate today? Have you eaten today? I ask my kids that the all the day. Do you brush your teeth? Do you need deodorant? I'll go get you some deodorant. Come here, you missed a spot. Let me shave for you. Why? He's a boy. But when you get married, you are that person now who that is your wife. And that is someone you are responsible for. And she's yours to help. And what you're hearing when she's talking is not her complaint. It's your responsibility. Come on, somebody. It's your responsibility. It's not her complaint. That's my job. I just got a job description. Because the servant comes to the table and says, what do you want? What do you need? I need you to quit playing video games is what I need. I need you to help here. Come on, somebody. The boy still wants to play though, right? I know. I was a boy. Sometimes I still feel the boy. And sometimes when you got a good wife, she'll come in and say, just be the boy. Go play. What do you need? A game. Because <laughs> the wife will do the same thing. What do you need? And sometimes for men, it is more physical and it is more just rest. So, but when you're married in that situation where uh, you're not having to be the, the girl still needs a defender. The woman is strong. See, we leave father and mother and we become a man. We become a woman. And so many issues is he's still trying to be a boy and she's still trying to be a girl. You had left that. And that's why you need to be ready to get married and make a decision. You're ready for that. And be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And what is that? That's servanthood. You cannot serve without strength. And that's why the greatest among us is the servant of all. And so I sat down and I'm, I'm hearing her and the whole time I'm feeling defensive because I'm like, I thought I was enough. Three months ago, I was. And I didn't know what to do because the other side of this, a man shall leave his father and mother. My father had died. See, you need a model. When God said this, there wasn't a father and mother on the earth, but he knew you would need one. 
And for most men, they don't know how to be the man and they're still the boy because they didn't have this. And so this is why we have to be patient with one another. So my father had died, and I know I need a model, someone to kind of show me how to do this, because this was the first real tiff of like in our marriage of like, I don't know what to do here. I'm hearing, but I don't understand. And while I didn't have a father um, in my life that I could pick up the phone and call, I knew I had his library. And I went into his office, and I'm like, if I want to figure this marriage thing out, I need to read about it. And I went and read this book called The Five Love Languages. And I got her to take the test. And when she took the test, I had understanding. Her her love language at that time, it's changed since. Married to the stranger, it's changed since. Uh, But but out of that was quality time. And like all the things she was, my friends, my mom, my dad, like my church, I realized all of those things were community. And when she's getting emotional is when I'm away because I'm all that she has. She needs me. And so when I understood what she needs is me and what she needs is quality time, she needs me to be with her. Then at that moment with that understanding, then like, oh, you want that? Now I can go to the kitchen and bring it back and set it on the table. And we did that and I made that adjustment and our marriage skyrocketed in love and romance. But I had to realize on that day that the boy wants love, romance, and adventure. The man wants responsibility. And out of that, this is my wife. And I will come in here and I will treat this as such. Her needs are my needs. And when we we made that change, it increased, it matured. You may grow up thereby speaking the truth in love. You may grow up thereby. Our marriage grew up. And since that time, we've had many conversations like that. And each one, as hard sometimes as they are to hear and it's harder to even make the adjustments. For each one that was heard and adjustments was made, our marriage got stronger. It grew up. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. And so that's what we'll take communion with today. Um, in our relationship with God, we have to not only see we have a Savior who we can come in and say, here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's what I desire. But we come to him and say, what do you need? What do you desire? What do you want to see in me change? I was reading Hebrews chapter 12 the other day, and it's like, whom the Lord loves, he corrects, he rebukes. And I realized I haven't been rebuked in a while from him. Seriously. I'm like, I have not been rebuked in a while from him. I don't want to be fatherless. Whom he loves, he rebukes, he corrects. I'm like, I know you love me. And so I sat down for 30 minutes with my prayer journal, and I I, I prayed one prayer, rebuke me. Seriously, what do you want to see changed in my life? And I'm not getting up from this place until I reach another level of maturity in you. What do you want me to change? And I sat there and finally the Lord showed me something. I'm like, you're so kind because it was something so easy for me to do. But I saw. And so today with communion, I want us to take communion over that. The blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus When we take the the cracker, we break it. That is his body, which was broken for us. We do that first. This is also a time where we say, I will obey. 
I too will come into this place of submission where not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And then you drink of the juice because the juice means everything up to this point was washed away. So maybe you haven't listened to anybody a day of your life. Everything up to this point is washed away. It's a brand new day. And today you can come and say, if I'm married, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to my spouse better. And if I'm, if I'm not married, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to other people better. Like, I'm going to really ask them what they need. And then I'm going to come to the Lord. I'm going to be like, Lord, everything up to this point, it's under the blood. But what do you want me to course correct in my life today? Amen. So let me pray over the elements. And then we'll worship the Lord across all of our campuses. Uh, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that your body was broken for us. And Father, we thank you not only was it broken... But your blood was shed so that our sins and our past could be forgiven. And today we honor that, Father. We honor your broken body. Thank you for not doing your will, Lord Jesus, but yielding your will to the Father so that you may serve your bride. Thank you, Father, for the cross. Thank you, Father, for those lashes across your back, Jesus. Thank you. We thank you, Father. Your broken body is a sign to us that our lives do not have to be broken. And Father, today we thank you. We will come into submission to your will and plan and come into the submission of of others as well. We thank you, Father. The greatest among us is the servant of all. So Father, we thank you for the broken body. And help us not do our will, but yours and others as well. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. That though our sins were red like scarlet, red just like this juice, your blood washes it all away and makes it whiter than snow. So Father, we say everything up to this point in marriage, everything up to this point in our lives, everything up to this point uh, in our families, it is forgiven, it is washed clean, and today is a brand new day. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to receive communion today, pray this prayer with me. If you don't want to receive communion, don't pray this prayer and don't receive communion. But if you come into this place of just surrender and brokenness, we honor the Lord with a sacrifice, with a commitment to him. And if we're not comfortable in doing that, then just refrain from communion and let service finish out. But if you you want Jesus as Lord and you want this forgiveness and mercy, then let's declare it, and then let's receive communion. So just repeat this after me if you want to. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus did not do his own will, but he yielded his will to your will to serve us. He broke his body for me. He yielded his will for me. He shed his blood for me. And today, Jesus, I honor you. I see you. I praise you. I love you. Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. And because of your blood, every sin I've ever committed, it is washed away. It's forgiven forever. And so, Father, since you forgive me, I forgive myself. And today, Lord, I say, me, my family, 
my marriage and all that concerns me is made brand new by the power of your spirit and the greatness of your grace. We thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand our feet.